0: Right, I heard there's a few addicts in here tonight. Yeah? You know that feeling you get when you're waiting for the crack dealer and your ass starts going like that and you just want to shit yourself? I've just recreated it standing over there waiting to come up here. I'm not joking. Um, couple of disclaimers. I do not speak for Cocaine Anonymous. I swear quite a lot and I'll try not to, but I'm probably going to. CA doesn't have any opinions on outside enterprises. Me, personally, I have fucking bundles. <laughs> um, I don't make many friends in Cocaine Anonymous, and the reason I don't make many friends here is because I don't mess around with this stuff. This is life and death for me. Right, it ain't a joke, ain't a social club, ain't a dating agency. This is a life-breathing, life-giving, life-saving fellowship that I'm a proud, recovered member of. <laughs> So let me introduce myself properly. My name's Richard E from London, my home group is Thus We Grow on a Wednesday night in Richmond. You're all very welcome to come. Not only have I recovered as a direct result of taking the 12 steps in Cocaine Anonymous, but my friends, family, loved ones and acquaintances have also recovered from the madness and the chaos of my drinking and using. Um, Not only are my family grateful to Cocaine Anonymous, but the police force and justice system in in the UK are also very grateful to you. I've absolutely been inspired over the last four days. And I want to explain that to you. It's not because this has it's been organised in a fantastic way. It's not because the wonderful people that I've met. It's not because of the great speakers that I've heard. It's not because of the unity that I've seen. But it's because of this. I got up at five o'clock this morning because I don't sleep too well because of the time difference. In fact, I've had about seven hours in three days so I could fall asleep at any point. So just wake me up. <laughs> and I went down to the lobby this morning and there was three or four blokes sitting there and I got talking to them. Five o'clock in the morning. And what they told me was that they'd come all the way from Toronto and they didn't have enough money for a room. So they were sleeping in the lobby and they'd been sleeping in the marathon meetings and they'd been sleeping... Wherever they can, and every now and again the security's been moving them on. So they've literally had two or three hours sleep a night. I'm not going to embarrass you by telling you who you are and pointing you out to you, right? But you fucking inspire me. You inspire me, right? (laughs) You. You are the lifeblood of Cocaine Anonymous, and you are the next generation of sponsors. We need you. You reminded me this morning about what it's like to go to any lengths. Fair play to you. Fair play to you. Now I'd like to tell you about lobbies full of cocaine and suitcases full of money, but that'd be a fucking lie. Right? A complete lie. I came to cocaine and i was broken. I've spent it nearly 19 years in and out, in and out, in and out. So I'm not somebody who came here and got it straight away and everything was hunky-dory the next day. Not my story. When I was 14 years of age, I was bunking off the school. I had my school blazer on. And I could hear this bottle of scotch in the cabinet and it was going, Drink, drink me. Drink me. Now my mum and dad was out. So I got in this cabinet and I got this bottle of scotch and I went like that and it was horrible my throat was on fire, my stomach was on fire my head was going to explode and I thought I'm never touching that again it happened didn't know it then the phenomenal of craving just kicked right in now I've got my hand over my nose I'm screwing up my face and I'm doing that with bottle of scotch and then I had my second great thought that day which was to steal my dad's three litre granada on the drive and go and pick my mates up from school so I'm driving down the school, I can't see over the steering wheel, I've got three cushions trying to hold me up over the steering wheel, I'm driving down the school like that, absolutely out of my nut. My three mates got in the car over the school blazers on, we got all the windows down, arms out the window, I'm doing that up the ice street, and as I get to the top of my road, I've got the police behind me with a siren flashing. So I pulled up outside my house, I mounted the pavement, now my three pals who would have stuck with me through thick and thin, jumped out of the car and went, see ya! <laughs> And just legged it. So the police officer opened the car door. I got the seatbelt caught round my leg and I fell on the floor. And he picked me up and he said, Is this your car, sir? In my school blazer, right? I said, Yeah. He said, and What's your name? So I give him my dad's name. And he said, What's your date of birth? I said, The 7th of the 7th, 1936. <laughs> He just looked at me and he said, that makes you fucking 64. Get in the back of the car. You see, I didn't realise it then, right, but that was going to be the pattern to my drinking and using for the rest of my life. I didn't know that. Because every time I pick up a drink or a drug, right, it don't end well. It really doesn't. I'd love to tell you that I had lots of fun out there, but that wouldn't be the truth either. You see, because what happened to me was that every time I picked up a drug or a drink, the prison sentences died. And for me what happened was, the sentences got more frequent, and they got longer, and the time in between them got shorter, and they got longer, and the time in between them got shorter, and shorter, and shorter, and they got longer, and longer, and longer. Until in the end, I'm running around on the street with a gun, now at this point my illness wants to pop up and manifest itself in my ego and I want to tell you about armed robberies, security corps vans, everybody in the floor. But that ain't the truth. It was robbing women's handbags at cash points. It was stealing from my family, from my friends, from my loved ones. My drug of choice is more more of what you got, then I'm going to fucking go and do my bit. You know that one? I don't have an off button. I've never said no, thank you, what's in it? I don't want any, ever. Right? Do you have a thing over here called poppers? I don't know if you have them over here, right? So I'm in a rave scene, right, with a mate of mine. And there's a girl standing next to me, and she's going... Vroom,
1: vroom,
0: and I said to my mate, what the fuck is that? That smells horrible. And he went, that's called Poppers. And I went, right. He said, don't touch that. He said, it'll fucking it'll blow off. I said, no, it smells horrible, I'm not touching that. Give a bit of that love. So I went. Oh my god, my head's gonna fucking explode. What am I fucking doing? Oh, this is horrible. I wish I'd have fucking done now. Oh my god, I'm gonna fucking die! Kiss another go that
1: love. <laughs>
0: I think they call that using against your will. <laughs> I may be wrong, but I think that's what it is. So I end up on the street doing what we do, robbing, stealing, lying, cheating. And I end up getting a massive sentence, and it don't matter how many I've done, it don't really matter how long the sentence was, I was long enough. And I'm in this prison, and i got the knock at the cell door. One of my mates... He said they're brewing hooch up down the church, right? I, now I ain't had a drink for about six years by this point, right? They're brewing hooch up down the church, let's go down and let's have a drink. I said, well, I'm with you on that. So we flew down the church, we get into the church, and they're all sitting in a circle. So I said to my mate, who's the one with the hooch? And he went, it's him over there. I went, alright mate. He went, alright mate. Welcome to the afternoon meeting of Alcoholics and a at Coldly Prison. My name's John and I'm an alcoholic. So I turned to my mate in my most pleasant voice. Said, what the fuck have you brought me here for? I didn't know I'd just been 12 steps, right? I've got no idea what that is. And it said, 12 God steps on the wall, 12 God traditions over there, and I thought the Mariachi band was going to be coming in, praise Jesus and all that. I thought, but not for me. There's no way, I'm staying here. And the day that I was released, they opened the cell door and they took me down to the gate. And I swore blind with every fibre of my being that I was never going to touch another drink or a drug again. And if you'd have put a light detector on me, it would have come back saying, I'm telling the truth. Because I meant it. With every fibre of my being, I meant it. And as the gate opened, my mate pulled up in the car, and I got straight in the car, and I sparked up a spliff. Because that's not really a drug. And then I cracked home. Can of tenants open. And then I got the crack pipe out. And then I got the needles out and I stuck one in me. It took me one day to go right back to exactly where I just left off nine and twelve years ago. Because I've got a progressive illness that gets worse. I don't go back to being fourteen years old and that little drop of scotch in the car. I don't go back to that. I'll go back to what does it for me, heroin, crack, cocaine, Is there anything else I can stick in my body. So it took me one day. And I hit the streets running, doing what I've always done, robbing, stealing, lying, cheating. And I remembered one day, they had meetings. Because of cold in prison. So I thought, I'm going to go to one of these meetings. So I turned up at this AA meeting. Now I'm not ex it's like AA, by the way. I turned up at this AA meeting. This little old woman come over to me. She said, are you all right, love? I said, not really, no. She said, what's wrong? I said, I'm sticking needles in myself. I'm smoking crack cocaine. I'm on 200 mils of methadone, sip a meal without Prozac. I've got the police chasing me. I'm probably going to go back to prison and do a life sentence. And she looked at me in the eye and she said, well, at least you haven't had a drink, love. <laughs> ain't funny <laughs> it ain't <laughs> when I went back out and I did what I've always done live you, Steve all the rest of it when I came back in again and they said get a sponsor who's got what you want so I got one who was eight years clean and didn't do fuck all which so that's what I wanted to do eight, eight years clean and do nothing they said, don't get involved in relationships, I've got a bird pregnant. They said, think, think, think. I thought they said, drink, drink, drink. <laughs> they said, easy does it. I thought that meant do fuck all. And I went back out. And I robbed, stole, lied, cheated. Until the day came. Like I sat on the couch in my front room. And by this point, I'd had two heart attacks and I'd had a stroke. My eye had dropped, my lip had dropped, my whole left side had gone. I was seven and a half stunned. It was John D. Sheller. And I was a shell of a man. I had a crack pipe in front of me. I had a bit of brown and I had a six-inch carving knife. And I was going. I'm out. I'm done. They're just the cry for help, right? I'm not, going, I'm not going across. I'm going straight down. I'm out of here. So I sat down with a carving knife. Obviously, I've done drugs first, come on. There's a bit of a story to go yet. Oh, like, right, i okay. So I got the knife and I put the tip into the top of my arm. And as the pressure went in, the blood started to come out. And it went through my head. If the police break in and I'm dead, the place is a bit of a shithole. Maybe you should tidy it up. I'm not insane, by the way. So I went round the house for an hour, tidying up, doing the hoovering, doing the wash it up. And I sat back down. Stop laughing, it's not funny, this is serious stuff. I sat down and I got the carving knife out and I put it in my arm and as the pressure went into my arm and the blood started to pump it came into my head two police officers standing over me and one saying to the other I'm afraid he's dead Sarge and the other one saying I can see that constable but look how tidy his flat is (laughs) all while I'm about to top myself so I've imagined my body going down the mouth. 21 gun salute either side, Army and Navy. The last post being played. Because I'm that important. I was telling the sponsee that, right? I said to him, this is what happened, right? And I said, like, no, 21 gun salute either side, and this is what I've seen. he just looked at me and said, Was you in the army? Said, no! I'm fucking insane, mate! nuts <laughs> so I went into the m- meeting again bear in mind i got my eye down here my lip down there, I'm dragging my left shoulder and I walked in and this woman, beautiful looking woman walked up to me and she said this is what she said to me right you are stunning <laughs> stop laughing it ain't funny <laughs> I'm going to take you home tonight and I'm going to shag your brains out. That's what I heard her say. (laughs) Will you stop laughing? This is serious shit going on here. What she actually says was, are you new, would you like a cup of tea? so a woman got up and crossed the floor to go and get a cup of tea I'd already worked out how many kids we were having where we were getting married next year woman went like that I thought she went like that I ain't delusional by any stretch of the imagination though at this point alright but I was just broken enough to maybe start listening now you see by this point, I've been in the rooms now oh, nine years, and I was told, "You see the old geezer with the big book? He's a step Nazi. He's a joy boy. He's a thumper. Stay away from him." And I would go into the meeting, and this little old boy would be going, "Happy, joy, and free, rocketed into a fourth dimension," and I'd get all embarrassed and think, "Oh, did he just say that? That's him." Silly old bastards. (laughs) I can't even get three days, right? And I'm sorry we're in this geezer. So I would say to newcomers when they come in, see the geezer with the big book, stay the fuck away from him. He's mad. And then I would go out, use, drink, smash myself to pieces, come back in, and he was still sitting there like this. Happy doors and free, rocky, oh blah 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 blah. Drop me out. And I go out and smash myself to pieces and I come in, and this time I thought, I need to ask somebody like him. Now I've been at meetings for quite a while by this point, right? So I know when you can talk a good programme. I'll give an example of it. I'm in a meeting, it's one of them meetings where you've got to raise your hands. I hate them meetings because they always seem to pick someone else. Or is that just me? It's probably just me. And when I'm in this meeting and there's an old boy in there, he must be 38 years sober, right? And he never says a word. Ever. And all of a sudden, at the back of the meeting, he went. And the whole meeting stopped and looked at him. And I went, Tom. He said, hello, Tom, alcoholic. Did you know that I is in the word in this? And we is in the word well. Thank you very much. And I went, wow. Wow. Wisdom. I'm in the meeting the next night, right? Julie, alcoholic. Did you know that I is in the word illness and we's in the word. Oh, Julie, wow. Because it's really easy to repeat what you heard last night in the meeting. I was told when I got here, right, watch what people do, not what they say. Thank God. So I followed this geezer to his own group. Now, when I got to his own group, He's outside the meeting and he's got his phone out right, talking to newcomers, and I thought, that's a blag, I've seen that. You know the ones who want to make themselves look good in front of the rest of the group? Oh, well, yeah, I'm just taking the newcomers number. So I thought, oh, I ain't having that. So I grabbed the newcomer and I said, does he call you? He said, call me, he drives me fucking crazy, the geezer. You know, stop calling. And I spoke to a few other newcomers, they went, oh, don't talk to me about him. He's ringing me at three in the morning asking me what I'm doing. I thought, this geezer's doing what he says he does. And I went into the meeting and there was his sponsor, his sponsor, his sponsor, and his sponsor. Up to forty six years at the time. They was all dressed becomingly, they was putting the chairs out. They was putting the ashtrays out in them days because you could smoke in them days. And I thought I want some of this. I really want some of this, I can't live with what I've got anymore. And I said to this guy, will you sponsor me? He just looked me up and down and he said are you willing to go to any lengths, Richard? Because he knew me by this point, And I said, I will run round Kingston town naked with a red fucking dicky bow on if, if that's what you want me to do. Please don't ask me to do that, though. Because <laughs> there's conditions going on here, all right? I'm broken, but not that fucking broken.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he said, this is what I want you to do every morning you're going to get on your knees and you're going to invite a God into your life of your own understanding I went, whoa, 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 whoa did you just say God? he went, yeah have you had God in your life every day so far? I said, no he said, how's it fucking going? (laughs) no not that great he said, well you need one then he said, you got a problem with God? I said, well yeah, sort of I've never been to church and I've done any of that stuff he said, do you believe I believe? I said, I believe you believe, yes. He said, OK, ask Billy's God every morning to keep you clean and sober. At the end of the night, it's only right you get down on your knees and thank Billy's God for keeping you clean and sober. I said, OK. Well, when I been and done that, that was mad. Right, you know that one where it's my first day of praying, right? I've never done it before. So obviously I'm shutting the curtains, right? I might have a few mates in the cupboard as well. Just I'm embarrassed to get on my knees. And like a power breaker myself into my life. But what I'm not embarrassed of is going into an off-licence or a shop and jumping over the counter with a ball paint hammer and smashing you over the head to get money out of till because I small or smoke more crack. But yet indoors, I'm embarrassed. So he said, what I want you to do is I want you to write ten things down every morning that you're grateful for. And I looked at him and went, are you fucking kidding? What am I grateful for? And he went, well, look at it this way. Did you know that some third world countries... They get up every morning and walk three miles to go and get a bucket of stagnant water. Do you know 30% of the world's population are going to go to bed under the stars tonight and go a roof over the head? 40% of the world's population have got no electric, no gas, no running water. You've got all of that, you selfish prick. Oh, selfish? That's a bit strong, isn't it? <laughs> he obviously don't know who I think I am. So let me tell you this Richard Grateful addicts and grateful alcoholics never pick up Period Never So that's what I want from you every morning I want you to pick the phone up every morning At 7 o'clock on the dot Because I've got 30 other sponsors And I ain't got time to fucking babysit you You will be on the phone with me 7 o'clock every morning So 7 o'clock every morning I ain't got a phone because my. Do you, have, do you have cash converters here? because right, like, my my phone is we call it crack converters in London my phone's in crack converters again so I've got to go walking down the phone box half a mile every morning 7 o'clock to pick the phone up Right. a week later he ain't picked the phone up once I'm a little bit put out by it to say the the list, so I get to the meeting right, at home group and he's standing there chatting with a few people and I'm pushing people out the way because I've got to get to him he's getting it Right, getting it See you, you ain't picked the phone up once. He went, what did I say to you? I said, you said, ring me at 7 o'clock every morning on the dock. He said, yeah, I didn't say I was going to pick it up, did I? (laughs) (laughs) That's the sort of gigs I'm dealing with here. Enjoy some free rocket. Yeah, or stick it up your arse. <laughs> he said you're going to have a home group, right? And the only two ways you're not going to show up is one, if you're on holiday, and two, if you're dead. And if you're dead, I want a letter from the coroner. <laughs> I'm going to put any strokes with this geezer. He said you're going to stand outside the meeting and you're going to hold your hand out to newcomers. And you're not going to get on the phone the next morning and bitch your moan about how bad your life is. You're going to ask them how they are for a change. That was great when I first did that. Hello, my name's Richard. You're a newcomer, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a newcomer, yeah. I know. How's it going? Well, uh, you know, I've only been in two meetings and I'm really good. to... Listen, forget that, right? My life's shit, mate. <laughs> Honestly, my life is absolutely crap. My relationship's gone down the pan, my dog's died. I can't work out how come newcomers don't want to pick the phone up to me anymore. So he said, stop talking about you and ask them how are they are. I said, okay, I can do that. He said, I want you here half an hour early every week and you're going to leave half hour late and you're going to be the one doing the washing up. I said, why? You said, because they're the people who stay. You see, because what I've always done is, right, like, I'm a taker. Always have been. You see, I will turn up late to your meeting, I will drink your tea, your coffee, I will eat your biscuits, I will chat your birds up and I'll fuck off early. And maybe if you're lucky, you might get a dollar in the pot out of I me. Mean. Because I'm a taker. I used to sit in meetings for years and I used to say, I can't get it. I can't get it. And it was pointed out to me, there's only three things to get it. A sponsor and a big book and a spiritual awakening. the rest is about giving. I didn't know that. I had no idea about that. I didn't know that if I gave, I got. I got In the giving, I would receive. I didn't know it. He so said, I'm going to be around your house on Tuesday and we're going to go through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And on Tuesday afternoon, he came around my house and we went through the preface, to forward, doctor's opinion, there is a solution more about alcoholism. Step one, no writing, no handouts, no questions. It's all in the big book of alcoholics and we went through agnostics, we went through how it works. And I knew I was on step four because I had a pen and paper in mind. And he said, "Now you're on fucking step four. I said, how long have I got? Because I heard it takes 18 months to do step four. Like I was going to get away with that. He said, you've got three days to do it and if you don't do it in three days, fuck off. Because I ain't going to watch you die. How desperate are you? I said, I am dying. So this is how I did my step four. Monday night from five o'clock till nine o'clock I sat there and I treated it like a part-time job. I did two hours, and then I went had a cup of tea, come back done another two hours. And then Tuesday night I did the same and Wednesday night I did the same, and it was done, and by Thursday it was back round my house. We did four, five, six, seven. I got down on my knees. I asked for all these defects to be taken away from me. And then he gave me a step eight, and it's the only time in the book that he diverted from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and this is the reason why he said you're going to write a list out because we have a list from your step four and you're going to write three columns out the person, the harm that you did and you're going to walk a mile in their shoes so I had to write a letter from the people that I'd harmed to me now I can stand here today and tell you right I put my family through hell and that's a bit of a statement isn't it? put them through hell But here's what came out of it when I sat down and wrote Step 8 from my mum to me. We had to travel up and down the country every other week to watch you in a prison shaking and shivering and rattling and rolling and jaundice yellow. We were full of guilt and shame that we'd done it to you. Every time there was a family do, we had to tell them you did like it again. Apparently I've been to Australia 15 times. Once of prison, more like we couldn't trust you in the house we had to lock everything up we actually got to a point where we hated you our own child we had to take the keys off of you so that you couldn't get into our house you stole our peace of mind, you stole our security and you stole our relationship with our son and I wrote that out and what happened for me was what this programme promises change because at that point, I changed. Because I've only ever seen the damage that I've done from my eyes. I've never seen it from yours. And at that point, I realised the damage that i had done from other people's eyes. So when I went and made amends, a remorseful mumbling that I was sorry wouldn't fit the bill at all. I know why I was going to make amends. And I went out and I went about it with a passion and an enthusiasm to put the rights, to get this put right, to clear up the records of my past. It took me nine years to be able to make a financial amends. He came back by my house, about three or four days later. And we did 10, 11 and 12 and he said, get off your ass and go and give it to somebody else. Do not let me catch you in a meeting bitching and moaning. That's not what a meeting's for. Right? It's not. A meeting is for you to share the message of recovery. And then he asked me, what is the message you've been through the 12 steps? And I said, Well it's a message of the twelve steps, isn't it? And it's like a message of work with newcomers and he said, No, it's not. No, it's not. It's in the twelfth step. It says having had a spiritual awakening as a result of this step, we try to carry this message. Not your message, not my programme, this message. That you've had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps and you've lost the obsession to drinking, you you never have to do it again, and more importantly, you're going to be happy while you're doing that. That's the message that you're going to carry from now on. And I set about it with a passion and enthusiasm that I'd never been able before been to be able to muster. And I went round to meet things like that with a big book, smacking people over the head. I was like, yeah, I may have upset a few people along the way, I've got to admit. I was like a vampire trying to suck the spiritual badness out of them. Literally. Nobody ever had anything to do with me whatsoever. I think I got one up to step three, and then he sorted it off and got a better sponsor because I was a bit too militant, apparently. <laughs> and then I met a fella in a meeting, and he was pretty broken, and he was living in a flat with his missus and his kid, but they'd left. And he ended up sitting in one corner of a flat, in literally a two-foot two space. And he was pissing into bottles because he wouldn't go to the toilet. And he was snorting cocaine and drinking, and he was dying. And he came up to me and he said, Will you spoke to me? I'm broken. And I said, absolutely, it'll be an honourable privilege. Are you willing to go to any lengths? And he said, Richard, I will do anything that you ask me to do. Anything. Within three months, he'd gone through the 12 steps, the concepts, the traditions. And he invited me out to a picnic because his missus and his little girl had come back into his life. Now, his little girl was about eight years old, right? She knew I did something with daddy, but she weren't sure what. So I went for this picnic with him and his wife, and his little girl was about eight years old. And she said to me, while we was sitting there, can you take me through the park to see the deer? I said absolutely, come on and I got her by the hand and we started walking and all of a sudden she got a little case out and I said what have you got there she said this is a Duffy CD and I went right she said thank you for giving me my daddy back and gave it to me that's the buzz that I've wanted all my life all my life you know that hole in the soul that we have it's program shows that buzz that I got from that little girl wasn't there next week. It wasn't there a month later. It wasn't there a year later. It's now there 11 years later. And I still remember that little girl giving me that. Before I turned up in recovery, my dad rung me one day and he said, Richard, your mum's in intensive care in hospital and she's dying. I've been up there for the last five days and I haven't slept and she's in a room hooked up to a machine and she's on her last legs and she said but I can't I can't stay anymore she said I need to go home and sleep and I need you to be here I said don't worry dad I'll be there so I stole a car and I went and saw the drug dealer and I bought crack and heroin and a few cans and I got to the hospital and I said dad you can go and chill out now so he left the hospital and I thought, I'll just go and crack a cane open and just have a quick pipe. So I went downstairs and I cracked open a pipe and a couple of cans and I stuck a needle in myself. And I woke up four hours later and I went upstairs and the nurse was standing around my mum's bed and she died on her own. So I went and had another pipe and I stuck another needle in myself because that's what I do I bury my head in the sand my dad had to sort all the funeral arrangements out so while he was sorting all the funeral arrangements out I thought it would be a good idea to take my mum's jewellery which he'd bought her over the last 45 years and take it down to crack converters and pawn it I stole it I stole that jewellery that he'd bought her over 45 years, and he'd just lost his wife. And then I couldn't face what I'd done, so I didn't go back. And I let him bury her. Him sort it all out on his own. And I loved that, man. You see, when I drink and use, I become disgustingly, dangerously, antisocial. I am the real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, except the difference for me is, Dr. Jekyll left the building a long time ago. And I absolutely broke that man's heart. Broke his heart. So as a result of the means, I sent my dad a letter because it's seldom wise to approach people who are still smarting for marriage justice to them. And I sent him a letter and I said, Dad, I'm clean. And he sent me a lovely bit of A4 paperback about that big. And it had written across it in black marker pen. Fuck off and die and I went to my sponsor and I said this is what he's written and he said what I want you to do is every month on a dot I want you to send this man a postcard and I just want you to put on it I'm still clean and I'm still sober that's what I want you to do so I did that Five years later, I got a call from the hospital saying his dad's in the hospital and he's dying. And we need you up here now. So I went up to the hospital after not seeing him for five years. And when I got there, he didn't recognise me. And I hardly recognised him because he'd put so much weight on for all the drugs that he was taking and he'd bloated. And I sat down by his bed and I said, hello, Dad. And he looked at me and he said, you're Richard's mate, aren't you? When you see him, tell him he's a no-good shit-cunt, I don't want him anywhere near me. He thought I was a friend. Didn't recognise me. So I went out into the hallway and his mate came out and his mate said to me, listen, he didn't recognise you, bitch. You've put on a lot of weight, you're a different person now. But I go and tell him who you are. Now my dad was proper old school. So his mate came out he, into the hallway and he said, Richard, he wants to talk to you. So I went in to the him, hospital room and I sat down and I went, Dad, it's me. He said, I can see that. Have you still got that drill you bogged off me five years ago?
1: <laughs>
0: and then every day for the next six weeks I visited him in hospital and I want to tell you the importance of working with people and what that can do. So I'm in the hospital, right, and me and my dad have always agreed that if it ever comes to the point where someone's got to wipe our ass for us, right, we want out. Out. And he's sitting in the hospital, he's still got his faculties, but both his arms are not working, both his legs are not working, and he sat there and he said to me, Richard, I want you to kill me. Oh, well, Dad. not really? Is that what you're asking me to do? He said, you promised me that if I ever got to this point, you would put a pillow over my head and you would kill me. And he was right, that's what I would going to do. So I moved him forward and I took the pillow and I stood there and I plucked it up and I said, are you sure this is what you want? And he said, Richard, I just want to die. Please, let me die. And I got the pillow and as I leaned over to put it over his face, the phone went. Oh, no. the response, he said, I'm in Tesco's so and some birds just run over my foot with a shopping trolley. <laughs> Hold on, Dad. This better be fucking good. You better have done some infantry and columns around us, mate. Because I'm writing a bit of something here.
1: <laughs>
0: what are you up to? Don't ask, what's going on? He just helps save my life, that goes off. And I looked at my dad after i come off the phone and I said, Dad, let's have some more tests done. Let's put it in the hands of the doctors and let's see what happens. And about ten days later, I was sitting there and they said, It's the machine that's keeping him alive now. What do you want to do? I said, turn it off. Turn it off. And he said, Are you sure that's what you want to do? I said absolutely he said the chances are he'll be dead by the end of the day and I said i okay. and I sat there and I held his hand and I told him how much I loved him and I told him what a bastard I'd been it broke my heart Fucking Cocaine Anonymous allowed me to do that. Cocaine Anonymous allowed me to be there holding his hand when he died. Because when she died, I weren't there. That is what's on offer in Cocaine Anonymous. That. The ability to be there when I need to be. So I'm about a month into recovery, right? And they keep talking about this God thing. And I was like, I'm still not sure about the God thing. I'm praying in the morning, praying at night, but I'm still not sure about it. So I thought the best thing I could do, right, was go around all the churches and see if I could find God. So I'm in a born-again Christian church, right? And they've got the guitars out and they're doing all that and tambourines are going. Now I'm in the back of of this like church, right? And I'm clucking off of Benzo's at the time, so I'm doing this. (laughs) They're obviously all thinking he's getting really into it, man. <laughs> it was not pretty, I'm saying, it was not pretty. So I'm going around all these churches, I've gone to this Catholic one, this Protestant one, this Christian one, born again Christians and Papist and you name it. And on Palm Sunday, I walk into a Catholic church I didn't know it was Palm Sunday, it just happened to be Palm Sunday and they're all dressed up and there's about 200 people going into this church and down the front there's a Gizr with a big pointy hat on and the staff and it must have been important and I'm sitting at the back and I'm thinking if I don't get God I'm going to die I need help where the hell am I going to get God because I'm not feeling this and as I'm sitting there thinking this I'm in tears he's invited everybody to walk down the aisle to get bread and wine and I'm sitting there thinking, I need to get God, I need to get God, I don't know how I'm going to find God, what am I going to do? And if I don't get God, I'm going to die, I just know I'm going to die. And I thought, join the queue. So I joined the queue, and as I got down to him, he gave me the bread. He didn't give me the wine the time, bastard. He gave me the bread. And I went back to my seat, and I'm sitting in my seat, and I'm crying. Oh, I need to find God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then everybody got up to leave. Now, there's great big massive doors, right? Higher than that. And he's standing like... Thank you, thanks very much for coming. Thank you, thank you. So I thought, I'm going to slip out here, right? So I went to go to slip out. And he grabbed me. I went... He said, what are you doing here? I said, I oh, don't know, I'm trying to find a power greater myself. <laughs> I don't know. And he said, you do realise you might not find him here, don't you? let me go I'm walking down the road I thought if I can't find God in a Catholic church on Palm Sunday I am fucked (laughs) I am fucked so about four days later I'm in my local town, I've got a commitment tea commitment and I'm standing in Sainsbury's herbal tea, black tea you know how OCD we get with it Jaffa cakes, chocolate cakes I can't afford me rent but I want you lot to love me, obviously and I'm standing in the bridge, and all of a sudden behind me I can feel someone muscling around and I turned around and it was the priest without his gear on he went, hello, how are you? I said, I'm fucked <laughs> <laughs> thanks for asking, no? <laughs> I said, anyway, what are you doing here? he said, I've got a tea commitment on a Friday night didn't you understand that? I said, no, I didn't Wow. He says you do realise right that God's not lost. You are. So why don't you get down on your knees in your front room and invite God into your life and He'll come and find you. And I said, you know what I can do that? And then every day since then I've got on my knees and I've invited a power greater than myself into my life. It's a God of my understanding. And every night I thank that power for coming into my life and keeping me clean and so on. so I'm about five years now and I'm in a meeting and I've done the share and a bloke's come up to me and he's got a black plastic bag and he said to me "Um, I don't know who you are but I've heard about you and um, I'm ready to do the deal and I need your help I said okay what's with a black plastic bag he said I'm I'm living in a park at the moment the wife kicked me out Um, the ex-wife I've lost my house um, I've lost everything worthwhile in life and I'm going to go and sleep in a park t- tonight. He said, I've been doing that for the last three or four months. I said, okay, ring me tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock on the dock. I was going to do that, if he wanted to pick the phone up. He said, ring me tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock on the dock. So 7 o'clock in the morning, he rang. And I said, stay where you are. And I went and got him, drove halfway across London. And I picked him up. Now, at this point, me and him disagree, right? You see, I say I've 12-stepped him, he says I kidnapped him. <laughs> and I brought him back to my house and he sat on the couch and he was detoxing. And I would say, there's a car outside, you're going to a meeting. And I would have sponsors on a cabal about turning up in their cars and I'd say, listen mate, you're going to a meeting, you're going to a meeting, you're going to a meeting. And within two days he'd gone through the 12 steps because he weren't getting away. And he lived on my couch for about three months. And after about three months, he'd saved up enough money to buy himself a little van. And he was going out to work with his little van. And at six months, he started his own little company up. And at a year, he met a girl in a room, she was also about a year. And he married her. And he asked me to be best man at his wedding. And then three years later, they had a little boy, Jack and they came to me and they asked me to be godfather to their little boy alright I'm a no good junkie scumbag that you wouldn't want anywhere near you and they asked me to be godfather to their little boy wow Cocaine Anonymous done that the 12 step programme done that I didn't I didn't So, what happened with the priest? So, about nine years, I was getting on a train one day, and I was a bit rushed, and I just about got through the door. And as I sat down, I looked opposite, and the priest was sitting there with a big smile on his face. He went, Hello, how are you? I haven't seen him for nine years, right? Now, you know, when you meet people and you do a chair to them, I'm like, how are you, right? This so what I'm doing 12-step program. Don't ever do that on a date if you're new. <laughs> right? Because you will get a woman say, you stuck what up your where? <laughs> it's not conducive to dating, believe me, it's not. And I thought, do you know what, I maybe need to let him talk. I said, how are you? He said, do you know what? I'm in a really bad way. I said, "Why? what's up? He said, all the stuff I've been doing at church with my congregation the community stuff has taken over the work like that I did with alcoholics and addicts and that's become more important to me and as a direct result of that I'm in trouble, I really am in trouble. And I said, well, so you're not stuck in the middle of a triangle, circle the in a triangle then doing the unity service and recovery. He said, well, i go to a few meetings but don't really do the rest of it. And then he asked me to sponsor him and I said it would be an honour and a privilege. cocaine anonymous done that The 12 steps done that there's a man that helped me at the beginning and I couldn't repay him and 9 years later that's what I got a chance to do and he's still about today and he's gone back to working with alcoholics and addicts and there's a man who knows more about God than I ever could but what he forgot about was how important it was to work with others because that's what we do here So what happened to the bloke that I was sponsoring with the little girl, with the CD, whatever happened to him? So, with your permission, his name is Will, and it's his 10-year birthday tonight, and I'd like to give him a chip. None of us done that. The 12-step program done that. I'm just a roadside. I say, go that way. And that's all I can do. But I'm a grateful, proud, recovered member of Cocaine Anonymous. And I want you to know this, right? Somewhere... In a detox unit at 2 o'clock in the morning there's going to be a bloke clucking his tits off. He hasn't slept for the last four days. He's going to be shaking. He's going to be shivering. And his life has gone down the pan and he's not going to know what to do. He's going to have no hope in his life. And he just wants to die. And someone is going to give him the CD of this world convention. And I think the greatest gift that we can give to that man is the gift of hope. That he can recover. Not recovering he can recover and I want you I would like you to help me show him that he's not alone at 3 o'clock in the morning in that detox let's say hello to him mate there's a lovely bit in the book I'm not going to tell you where it is because I will not rob you of the opportunity to find it <laughs> and it says this I may have seemed to lecture and I may have seemed to give advice and if that's so I'm sorry because I don't always care for the people that lecture me but what I've related here is based upon actual experience and some of it's been painful that's why I'm anxious that you understand and avoid these unnecessary difficulties so to you out there most of be with us and say good luck and God bless what have I got in my life today as a result of this stuff I've got the car and I've got the business and I've got the money and I've got all the material stuff and I've got sponsors, and I've got to be a godfather and I've got all that strip all that away from me every bit of it and this is what the 12 step program's done for me right listen to this really carefully listen to what I'm now going to say when I got up this morning this is what I heard when I got up this morning. Fucking wicked, isn't it? Hey, and not that wicked? This is what it used to be like, right? Any methadone anywhere? Any pills anywhere? I know, I might have a bit of methadone in the cupboard and I think I got up. I think I've done it when I mean, got out of the pistol at 2 o'clock this morning. I Maybe mean, I've got a few value the covered. And I saw done them yesterday. I'll go and see a I'll take tenner. I'll go around and see the old oh, man. Shit, he's has the door. He won't even fucking at me in. Maybe I'll get a tenner from somewhere else. No one wants to give me a tick, I'm never going to fuck it up. I ain't even got out of bed yet. <laughs> uh, if you're new, no, I want you to understand this. You will get a bit of grace. And your head will shut up. But don't believe the lie. The debate in society ain't gone anywhere. It's just planning its next move. Right? That's all it's doing. If you're sitting in that detox and it's four o'clock in the morning and you're shaking and you're shivering and you can't see no way out, believe me, we can recover. Believe me, there's hope. Believe me, you're not on your own. Thank you for letting me share.